Welcome to the Fab Lab Maker Hub podcast. I'm Stuart Lorne and I'll be your host on this new series where each week we talk to designers and makers, artists and inventors who in some way use digital fabrication tools and processes in their work and business. I explore the stories of how they got started, the pros and cons of using digital tools and how technology has helped them develop their unique products. Plus, we get insights into how the COVID-19 situation has shaped their current and future plans for their businesses. And spoiler alert, it's not all doom and gloom. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Upper Shannon and Erin Future Economies Project, which covers the geographical area of counties Leitrim, Cavan, Longford and Roscommon. The aim of the project and this podcast is to inspire individuals, businesses and communities to proactively assist with the economic development of this region and to provide opportunities to develop new ideas and innovations through using digital fabrication technology. The Future Economies Project is a joint initiative between the local county enterprise offices, ESB and Bordnamona. I'm delighted to be joined on the Fab Lab Maker Hub podcast today by John Hanley. John is an inventor, entrepreneur and triathlete. Hi, John. How are you doing? How are you, Stu? I'm very well. I'm very good. Which one of those three came first for you? The entrepreneur, the inventor or the triathlete? Probably none of them. I grew up with, with uncles who were always messing around with things, messing around with boat engines and boats and were always building stuff. Um, I, we never brought people in to do DIY or to do, we, we always did it ourselves in-house. It was either me, my uncle, my brother doing something. So I suppose that's the genesis of the kind of curiosity and getting things done yourself. So what were you making in the early days? Oh, everything from go-karts to, yeah, I tried to stick a, an alternator onto a, a go-kart when I was about uh, 13. Yeah, front chain ring of a bike attached to an alternator and a 12-volt battery. Not something a 12-year-old kid should be doing. Um, <laughs> Don't yeah. try this at home. <laughs> oh, yeah, held together with nails and, and bits of webbing. And yeah, when my uncle saw it, he nearly had a heart attack. So yeah, the alternator had to be removed from the go-kart. It, it was never going to be working. <laughs> work anyway because I'd be gearing all wrong as he pointed out to me <laughs> so yeah probably <laughs> very good yeah curiosity came came first I'm an engineer by profession so I went into did, did engineering and then as a project manager working with Lang O'Rourke in England so they were always kind of at the cutting edge of doing things differently and prefabrication and and yeah so it was always fun working with them hard working with them but it was always fun working with them what kind of engineering was that well i did everything from civil engineering to uh kind of roads road designs through to bridge engineering through to uh, concrete frame structures bridges culverts all that sort of thing so yeah wide range of civil engineering and then in later life i went back and i, I did a master's degree in construction man- management in the university of bath and then i went into kind of healthcare so the last 13 years before i started this i was doing healthcare project management okay so your interest in triathlons where did that come from because this plays an important part in what we're talking about this morning which is the product that you developed called tecrapod yeah so where did the triathlons come from yeah well i always always played rugby and when I turned, I think it was just turning, just after I turned 36, I dislocated my shoulder in a rugby match with Sligo. And at that stage of the game, I think yeah, at 36, I was playing fullback or, or kind of wing, where you really need to be a little bit younger than that. And so I kind of gave up. And then after a year or two, I started to pile on the, the weight and... Uh, 
loving life, having no exercise. But yeah, so I, I, I tried to find something that wasn't really running based. So I, I started doing a little bit of mountain biking and then just sitting in a pub one night, uh, there was four or five lads and we said we'd do the Mullockmore Triathlon the, the following year. So that was 17 years ago. Okay. I was the only person who turned up at the at the start line. Now, a couple of the other lads did go on to do triathlons, but yeah, I got tubed. So yeah, I did my first open water triathlon. It's, it's about 16, 17 years ago, I think. So for anyone that doesn't know, what sports are involved in a triathlon? So triathlon is, you know, at, at the shortest end of it, it's, a, it's called a sprint. It's 750 meters swim, followed by a 20K bike, followed by a 5K run. And then Olympic is, uh, it doubles. It's a 1.5K swim, 40K cycle, and a 10K run. And then you can go half iron, which is, it doubles again. And then Ironman is 3.8 kilometers, 180 kilometers, and, and, and a marathon at the end of the 42K run. So, yeah. Wow. That's uh, pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. It seems daunting, but managed to get through three of them now at this stage. So yeah, we're supposed to do one this year, but unfortunately with the COVID, it got deferred and deferred and deferred and we're still waiting for word on it. Um, We're supposed to be doing one in Portugal, but it doesn't look like it's going to go ahead. So we'll have to wait for another year. So how did taking part in triathlons figure in what you're doing now? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I suppose I, I've always been a nervous open water swimmer, never 100% comfortable in the water. I would say around 2012, I was kind of thinking, surely there's some sort of an inflatable device that you could wear that would be akin to the inflatable life vest, but suitable for swimmers. So I actually went down and I bought in one of the local kind of sunset sales, I think in Sligo, one of the local stockists of, of life vests and, and all things sailing brought it up and pulled it apart to see what was involved in it. And I made some horrendous prototypes and then I left it. I did nothing with it, which I, I should have, but I mean, it would have been way ahead of the game at that stage. How long ago was this then? 2011, 2012, it, it kind of, the torn and um, pulled apart device lay in my office for, I moved office twice or three times and, and it moved in a box with me and I was looking at it and looking at it. And then I was working in Nazareth Thousands in Sligo and I finished up with them about three years ago. And then I kind of said, so I set up my own consultancy then at that stage. And I kind of started potting around with this in the background. And I have to say, my wife would have been very instrumental in saying to me, that thing is driving you daft. Would you not go ahead and, and do something with it? So two years ago, I decided, yeah, what the heck, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to, to fruition. And this time last year, I did a Kickstarter, which is, uh, I don't know if people know it. It's, it's where you put your product online and you ask people to back you in the promise of receiving a completed device six months later. And that was pretty successful. I exceeded my target by 25% of the funding that I was looking for. And I just went on from there. So there's a whole lot to kind of unpack there. (laughs) So the swimming device that you ended up developing, which is now called Tecropod and is available for people to buy. How did that come to the stage that you were able to offer it up on a platform like Kickstarter for people to back? What was the development process and how did you use digital fabrication to help you do that? Because I know there's a story behind that as well. Well, I suppose there was two, there was two components to it. There's the, well, three components. There's a little backpack that you wear on your back. There's an internal bladder, which is not a life vest. I need to stress that. It's a personal flotation device. Um, but there's an inflatable tube, if you like, in the backpack. 
And then there's another component, which is a light, a strobe light, which, which fits to the backpack. So you've kind of got presence in the water when conditions are dull. So I would have started off looking for materials for the backpack and just trying different materials, different laminates, different PUs, TPUs, and just, you know, and that's the beauty of the internet at the moment. It's the beauty of Alibaba and AliExpress and Amazon, eBay, is you can sit in front of a computer for hours on end searching the internet for what you think would be suitable materials. Yeah. And, you know, with a little bit of patience, it'll be with you within a, a week. You now, if it's come from China, it might be a bit longer. And then you get it, you open, you play around with it. So I did I did try approaching three companies, mainly in the UK, well, all in the UK, actually, to do prototypes for me. But it's very difficult for somebody to take a brief off you unless you really have something to show them. I mean, it's one thing doing drawings, but it's another thing having a, a product in your hand. So, and of course, the prices that I was getting from the UK were absolutely astronomical. I mean, they were between 20 and 40,000 pounds just to produce one prototype. And did you have CAD skills yourself? Yeah, I suppose historically I would have used AutoCAD. I mean, from the background in engineering and started doing volumetrics, and I would have used programs over the years, but mainly AutoCAD, but only in 2D. So then I was kind of hunting around and then I came across yourselves, Fab Lab, and I think I contacted you with regards to kind of doing some 3D printing and you were running a course at the time in making a 3D printer. So I did that course with yourself and that kind of opened up a whole area. And then I discovered there was a 3D printer in the library in Sligo, which was fantastic. With the help of yourself, I started to produce some 3D models of the light component, but I was also able to do some 3D models of the the backpack, which were very rudimentary, but at least it got an idea across. And then, you know, eventually I managed to find the materials that allowed me to put the backpack together. And I got the skill sets to kind of get the initial designs that I wanted for the light. And to this day, those basic designs are still there in the light. So I, I got an industrial engineer for the light um, based in Northern Ireland. And there's a company called C-Sense who operate in the north and they set up a light. So they, they were very helpful. They had done Kickstarters as well. So I spoke to them and, and they put me in contact with, with the industrial engineer who's an absolutely super guy. Stephen McGilloway and he helped me know and and we were able to find manufacturers and producers in China. Did you always know that you wanted this to be a Kickstarter project or did you want another company to produce it for you? Yeah, I'm a bit impatient and I'm hands-on. So yeah, I mean, you know, you can go out and look for investors and people to come on board, but then you're going back to the, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be end up working for somebody else. And I wanted to develop the, the prototype and the product for the product's sake. I I never approached this from a point of view that I want to be rich and famous. I want to make millions out of this. You know, I mean, money is nice and whatever, but I'm not, I'm genuinely, at this stage of my life, I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by producing what I hope are simple, seamless safety products uh, and other products, not just safety products, uh, which are useful to people. And that's what motivates me. And if I can make a living in the process of doing that, that would be really nice, but I'm not motivated. So doing the Kickstarter was kind of a natural thing to do because there's a whole creativity in relation to the Kickstarter because you have to do your Kickstarter video, you have to do your Kickstarter pitch, you have to have your prototypes ready to, to use, you have to have a demonstrable product at that stage of the game. And then you're beholden to nobody other than the people People that are backing your product and, and they are the end users. So the nice thing about that Kickstarter is that you're 
you have people that believe in your product, have an interest in your product. And when they get the product, then they'll critique it. And I always think you're going out doing a survey, uh, a market survey. You know, somebody says to you, what market research have you done in your product? If you can turn around and you can say, well, I ran a Kickstarter and 150 people bought the product. I think that's a good validation of your product rather than I stood outside shop with a tick box and a, and a clipboard and I said, would you buy this product? Well, it's not going to cost me anything. So yeah, I'll say yes to it. But if you've got to put your hand in your in your back pocket and fork out a hundred euros, there's a different kind of validation there. Yeah. So did you feel like the backers were kind of with you for the journey? For them, it wasn't just a financial transaction. They weren't just buying something off the shelf. They, they were kind of actively part of the development of the product. Yeah, uh, to, to a degree. I suppose it kind of splits into two. I mean, I, I had a lot of obviously you have a lot of family and friends and I, you know I have a good circle of friends in the triathlon industry and in, or the triathlon circles in, in Sligo and I train with a bunch of guys who are absolutely super and have been have been really helpful to me over the years and supportive turning out for videos giving me the loan of their boats swimming in my videos and, and whatnot so you know I had really good support locally and my family as well but then there was like America would have been very successful it would have been the biggest outside of Ireland so they didn't know diddly squat about my product other than what they saw in the video and what I showed them in kind of the notes that go on the Kickstarter website. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mixture of both, but it's kind of when you start delivering the product to them and I delivered the backpack about two months ahead of schedule. That's almost a record for Kickstarter because most of the Kickstarter projects I've backed end up taking a a year delays before you get the product. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the light component of the Kickstarter. So that just was about to be delivered when COVID hit and China shut down yeah and then china shut down or open back up rather and uh, we, we shut down here in ireland and so yeah there was a six months i mean i was probably was a not quite six months behind on the light but yeah it, it was close to it and did the backers understand that or was there sort of some heated comments <laughs> no absolutely not i mean everybody in, in the backers again i would have known a lot of the backers so there was an element of the people in germany i, I sold to to 12 different countries during the Kickstarter. Well, that's fantastic. And I could get an email saying, John, I haven't heard from you. Is there any update on, on the lights or whatever? And then I'd, I'd do an update. And I tried to keep people informed. I was maybe a bit lackluster in the last few weeks where I was in a real panic to push things on. But I tried to keep them, you know, at least once a month, if not twice a month, informed as, as to what was happening. But they were very understanding. And I think everybody knew what was happening with the COVID. So it wasn't, it wasn't a hard sell. Yeah, that's brilliant. What was the uh, one thing that wrecked your head the most that you didn't expect to with the Kickstarter? Wrecked my head the most. When I did the Kickstarter video and you really want to do, there's a couple of things that you want to do is that when you do the Kickstarter video, you need to upload it in 4K and forget about people's arguments that people are only going to be looking at this in 720 or there's an algorithm within Kickstarter that says if you put your video up on 4K it's a quality video it doesn't look necessarily <laughs> at the content yeah never mind the quality fill the width <laughs> exactly um, so my product never got featured on the front page as a result of it right and that really you know in the last week when you're coming up and they see that you've made your target then the metrics of the algorithm so it's a, it's a but first and foremost you don't have a 4k uploaded uh, video it just it won't consider you so the 4k video then are you coming up to your target or are you have you reached your target if you've reached that criteria then you go to the, the front pages and you can imagine there's maybe i don't know there's maybe fifteen thousand products on kickstarter be 
being promoted at any one time. So, you know, if any of those metrics don't come off, you don't go to the front page so people don't get to see you. Yeah. And so that was a bit of a head wrecker. Doing the light was a head wrecker in relation to COVID and just the frustrations of that. So what was it like dealing with China on the production side of things? China is is excellent. I mean, the casings are produced in China, but the boards, the PCBs come from China as well and the components come from China, but the, the boards are actually put together in, in Northern Ireland. But so dealing with the Chinese on that front was quite good. The, the guy that we deal with in, in China is a really, really sound sound guy and very, very conscientious about the work. And so from that point of view, but just the frustration of the shipping totally stopped. You couldn't ship anything in and out of China. And then when China opened back up, you couldn't ship anything in and out of Ireland, anything in and out of Europe. Then we tried to source stuff in Europe, but everybody else had that idea. So it was going to be no quick try and get those things in, in, I don't know, in Germany or Italy or whatever. Uh, so that that was really frustrating. Um, by nature, I'm not a very patient person. I, you know, I, I like to see progress happening. So sitting through the COVID was, I have to say, frustrating. But at the end of the day, you know, when you see the damage that COVID did internationally, I mean, yeah. you just have to put it in perspective that it's a it's a light, John. Get get a grip. <laughs> <laughs> On a more happy note, what part of the product design journey did you enjoy the most? Was it the prototyping, the logistics? Probably not the logistics. Oh. <laughs> you know, I just really enjoy the the design aspect of it i just really enjoy you know you hand over a bit of work to somebody you've you've brought it as far as you can bring it and then you hand it over to the industrial designer and then he brings it the next stage and get those drawings back and those lovely 3d renders and you think oh this is absolutely you know absolutely super so the the whole design process i mean i I don't like the marketing side of it but i really like the creative side of the marketing i like to see how the videos are put together how the marketing strategy is put together but the actual process of of instagram and facebook and all that just to be honest I have no time for it. I rely on it to sell my product, but I but I but I struggle with it. You know. So I was going to say, aside from the Kickstarter, where is the product available to buy? Is it in the shops now, or are you exclusively selling online? Or? Exclusively online at this moment in time, and and you know, to be honest, yeah, I, I had about nine shops to let it into, and when the COVID hit, you know, Call of the Wild here in Sligo, um, Owen, absolutely super guy, uh, really gave me a lot of help in terms of of how the product should be marketed in the shop help me with the kind of the presentation the no-nos so really really good guy but you know he, he was shut down for I don't know three four months with COVID so you know I, yeah. I go back to these people in time and I chat with them but they've got the, the problems of their own trying to shift the stock that they, they have so I've stuck to online which has actually worked it's worked really well for me um, and now the question is um, you know will I go retail uh, will I stick to, to doing it totally online it seems to be a model a lot of a lot of companies are beginning to follow now you know if, if i was shop based prior to this covid if i was a year ahead and i was relying on retail I, I'd, I'd be totally out of business at the moment so yeah aside from the china shutting down and delaying the light coming through i mean how has the lockdown and covid affected it has it given you a chance to develop new skills you know learn a language or <laughs> other things that people have done during the lockdown Um, Not really, because I suppose in the back of it all, I mean, I was applying for the CSF funding with with Enterprise Ireland. So kind of I was ready to launch my product probably, you know, February. Like I I had the the website open from beginning of December, but I had publicity or or advertising for it. And even kind of in early December, I was managing to get sales. Not not 100% sure how they even knew the website was open, but I managed to get sales. And then come January, February, I was setting up for kind of digital marketing. Um, and then COVID hit. So any sales really February, 
back into February, March, April and May. So pretty much stopped until about mid-May. And then all of a sudden it sprang to life again. But I was in the middle of kind of developing other things, trying to get my packaging, my logistics and the website updated, lots of other stuff. So to be honest with you, it didn't affect my, it was kind of, you know, I'm sure I look back at it and it'll say it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it refocused me on doing the the foundational work rather than concentrating on sales. No, don't get me wrong. Sales are very important um, and you need your revenue. But it did make me think, was my website up to scratch? Was my social media up to scratch? Was the product up to scratch? And so give me a chance to go back and look at all those things again. Where do you mostly concentrate the social media? Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, at the moment, Facebook and and Instagram, we intend to maybe branch into Google AdWords. So we're just in the process of that at the moment. So influencers would be a a big thing for us. So again, we're we're looking at using influencers and then PR. So we would have got a lot of traction out of New Atlas, uh, just literally took off the Kickstarter took all the information, sent me an email, said it was up on New Atlas and you know it, it was on their front page for about, I think it was 12, 14 hours it managed to stay there for. And I got 12 or 14 sales out of that alone. Fantastic. So I got a great review from DC Rainmaker, who's an online blogger and GP Lama, Wild Swimming and then Outdoor Swimmer. We ran a few advertisements with them. They did a, a story with us. We did a competition with them. You know, that's been very fruitful. So, so getting the uh, sort of YouTubers to review the product. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we'll be targeting come the new year with our PR. Just in talking about the, the digital side of things then, going back to the 3D printing, is this something that you're going to be developing your skills on in the future with other products? How do you see yourself you know, using digital tools going forward? Well, I, I've got a copy of Fusion 360. I think the difficulty for me is that I'm not you know, I find that I, I watch a, a YouTube video on, on how to, I don't know, extrude or do a particular shape or something. And I get it and I do it and it takes me a long time to do it. I might go to do it three weeks later again and I find that it's gone out of my head. So I'm not at it continuously. So that's kind of frustrating. So I think I'm resigned at this moment in time to sticking to 2D um, uh, graphic design and handing it to an industrial engineer or an industrial designer and saying, here, bring this to the next. I mean, they can, they can do it so quickly and so professionally and and as you know I, I mean you use it yourself if you don't set up the files correctly the components i mean you make a you make a rod for your back so you know i did mine on fusion originally i handed it to the industrial designer as a as a dxf i, I can't remember the name of the file type i gave him anyway but he, he spent as long trying to figure out if he had started from <laughs> building so um the invention side of things i mean do you consider yourself uh, an inventor or a maker i mean do you identify with that whole kind of diy movement or are you more focused on the sort of industrial design side of things where do you see yourself fitting i don't know i just from a personal point of view i think my mother used to say of of myself and one of my sisters is that you know if she wanted to keep us occupied she'd just give us a a, a ball of tangled string and both myself and and one of my sisters would be happy to sit down and untangle it for the day (laughs) and you know it was a useless piece of string that you'd throw in the bin but you know we had the same kind of mentality of just kind of 
the curiosity. Same with kind of puzzles and, and stuff. So yeah, I like the solving problems. I, I just don't have the ability to sit and look at a problem and not do something about it. So that's the kind yeah. of invention part of it. I'd love to be better at the industrial design part of it. Um, I'd love to have, have had better skills in terms of 3D design. And it might, you know, it's, it's something I get a lot of pleasure out of. I, it's something I, I, I enjoy messing about in the computer and I love pressing that print button and seeing a print on a, on a 3D printer. And so yeah, it's probably something I'll get a little bit more involved in, but it's the, the time constraints now at the moment, the amount of ground that you have to cover for, on a day-to-day basis. So I'm not getting the time. I, I, you know, productively, I'm not getting the time to kind of be able to say, well, I'll, I'll sit down for three hours and watch a, a YouTube video on Fusion so that I can do a component I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds to me like turning your hobby and your passion and ideas into a business has huge benefits, but equally, are you finding you're having less time to do those things that you love doing now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because I'm having this conversation with my, with my daughter and wife at, at breakfast this morning about architecture and you know I've worked with architects all my life and, and my, my heart goes out to them because these are incredibly creative people but you see the frustration when you work with them that they end up you know 90% of their work is managing problems and project managing rather than the actual act of designing so yes I, like architects I'm probably ending up doing stuff in order to facilitate what it is that I like to do but you know, I'm hopeful at the end of the day that I can grow the business to, to a level that I can employ people to do those more mundane tasks a lot better than I'm doing them and concentrate on the design and the prototyping aspect of it. Right, okay. Uh, that's my hope. Okay, that's good. Obviously, Tetrapods in the beginning stages, really, in some ways, is there going to be Tetrapod version two or are there other products that are going to come in under that kind of brand? Yes. I mean, my brain is busting with with ideas. You know, one of the things that people like me could be criticized for is picking up one thing and dropping it and moving on to the next. What do we say? Disciplined in following through and finishing off what it is. So TechPod at the moment is not at a level at which I would be satisfied that it's a product that can be mass produced consistently at this moment in time. So there's a lot of work to be done on the industrial design aspect of it. It's a quite a complicated little backpack. I mean, people look at it and they say, well, it's a, it's a little backpack. You put it on your back. But the way it's constructed in order to ensure that it doesn't interfere with your swim mechanics, that it doesn't interfere with your buoyancy, it minimizes drag, and that it does what it's supposed to do. And it doesn't chafe you or it doesn't cut you if you're swimming in skins. It's not just any old material that you can use to do that. So trying to find a manufacturer that will manufacture these in bulk has been extremely difficult. I imagine there's lots of safety, compliance, EU regulation things that you have to adhere to, yeah? Yeah, well, again, that brings it to a, to a whole other level. So yeah, I mean, you know, that aspect of it, but trying to find a company that will manufacture this in its current complexity is proving a challenge. So I mean, I'm quite happy and I'm quite resigned at this moment in time to continue manufacturing them ourselves. And it's something that's very scalable. So as you know, as demand grows, it's just getting more people involved in the manufacturing side yeah. of it. So, you know, my experience, I mean, you can talk about China, but my experience thus far is if you can mechanize things like the light manufacturer, isn't that significantly more expensive? expensive to do in Ireland than it is in China. And, you know, if it's a mechanized, if it's labor intensive, it's still cheaper in China. But, you know, I have a lot more control over things. So there's good reasons why you want to keep things local um, and try and, you know, give back a bit of what what you've received. I mean, Enterprise Ireland, local enterprise centers have been absolutely, I couldn't speak more highly of them and the support that I've I've received over the last uh, 18 months from local enterprise and and now Enterprise Ireland. And, you know, if you, you have no excuse 
excuses in Ireland for not delivering your your ideas because there's lots of supports and, and people like yourself, Stu, and I'm working with Leo Scarf at the moment. You know, and you know, you're you're all kind of guys who are on the same pages as I am. And those resources are here, and you can find them. Yeah. So you don't have to go abroad for them. That's brilliant. So for anybody that's like yourself has had this idea nagging at them for maybe decades, <laughs> what would you say in terms of going for it and putting the idea out there? Would you do it all again, knowing what you know now? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I intend to. Uh, I, I intend to. I mean, I have another idea at the moment, which is completely different to what this is doing. And I'm half thinking of doing a Kickstarter on that one as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think the thing at the end of the day, the advice is, you know, don't die wondering. And, you know, I have to say my wife is really good in that in that regard, you know, sitting looking looking at me like a sick hen uh, and saying, oh, for God's sake, will you go and do it and stop stop thinking about it, you know? And <laughs> yeah. you know, it, 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 it's a big commitment for her. It's a big commitment for my family because my second eldest daughter does all the marketing stuff for me. <laughs> so it's a totally family affair. <laughs> yeah, my eldest daughter, every time she comes home, she looks at me and she says, Dad, you know, that returns and I say yes please if you could so I've had them packing devices had them attaching whistles I've had them doing all sorts of sorts of stuff so it's a family affair and, and it has an impact on your family so but you know it, it's very enriching uh, and it's an experience my kids will understand like what's involved in setting up a business fantastic what's the best place for people to find out about your work and about Tetrapod? The, the website is www.techrapod.com, T-E-K-R-A-P-O-D.com. So all the information is there on the website. We're redoing everything. We're doing content. So the content that's there, it's been there since the Kickstarter. So it's a little bit amateurish. So that's all been done with the help of Enterprise Ireland. It's been all redone and we're bringing it up to a more professional standard. Uh, so hopefully in the next kind of three to four weeks, we'll, we'll be launching that. And then the rollout of new products between now and probably January and February next next year. Fantastic. And the name Tecropod, where does that come from? Does it signify anything? I was reading a book. It was, I think it was Neil Steuben, your inner fish. So <laughs> he, he, he was one of these guys that was trying to prove that evolution is true. He decided to, to reverse kind of engineer the hypothesis. So he said, well, if a, a transitional animal exists between water and land, it should have occurred at this kind of time in history. So he went off looking for shales in, I think it was in Canada, that were of that era. And he found a, a transitional animal called Tiktaalik. And they belonged to a group of animals called tetrapods which were the kind of the first of the amphibians that came from sea to land. And so I just took Tetrapod and turned it into Tech-Rapod. Oh, yeah. It sounded good at that time, but um, as the marketing gurus have now pointed out, you should never name your company after your first product because it causes problems. <laughs> so yeah, we're going through a whole rebranding process at the moment. So the company is actually going to be called Tech-Resport. And Tecropod then will be the product that you now have. And then there'll be a whole host of other products with the Tecra as the starting part of it. And then the product name will come after it. So it's kind of a, a nomenclature. Nice. And so, yeah, so we're rebranding. And, and, and so that's another, well, mountain to climb. <laughs> I take it there's going to be more sports-based products from the head of John Hanley then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we look forward to that. Listen, John, thanks a million for coming on and chatting about your story today and about tech for sport, as we will now call it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, and thank you very much. And, and thank, thanks for your help and support uh, over the years, Stuart. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks, Mill. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fab Lab Maker Hub podcast. You can contact us via email at 
info at fablabmh.org. Also, we have a Facebook page, FabLabMH, and a Twitter account, FabLabMH. You can get in touch with us through any of those means. Our website is www.makerhub.ie. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, tell your friends, and thanks for tuning in. Since I saw you last, since I saw you last.